Baptist Church. Recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, Church. The scripture reading today is taken from the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. And a very good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, what Pastor Tom said is very true. I am looking forward to seeing uh, more of you and hopefully in due time, all of you. Uh, now, one of the, the reasons that we're making this shift also is because of the recent loosening of the regulations. As you heard, I think it was on Friday evening and that led Christchurch to, to loosen their, I mean, to return, resume their own physical services. And they also invited us to, to uh, resume ours as well. And I am looking forward to seeing more and more and eventually all of you uh, in due time and to worship together as well. So wherever you are watching this live stream, the Lord bless you. Uh, if this is also uh, one of your first few times joining us, a warm welcome to you. Uh, honestly, we'd like to get to know you more. And so, you know, you could help us uh, by scanning this QR code at the bottom of the screen. You can get connected with us and at the same time receive a free book of your choice. Uh, well, we've just gotten started on a new series. Uh, we're looking at First John. And our goal is to grow in Christian fellowship. So whether you are a Christian or not, uh, my hope is that these sermons would help you appreciate uh, this and, and treasure the specialness of Christian fellowship. Now, one of the, the, the biggest criticisms against Christianity and against Christians is that of hypocrisy. Right, it's become very popular to view Christians as a group of people who, who talk one thing, uh, but whose lives reflect another thing. Now, this criticism is sometimes true. I mean, too many times you have heard of church fellowships that have been built uh, around satisfying the corrupt desires of sinful pastors and leaders, whether uh, for money, for sex, or for power. But it's not just about the leaders Right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of many church fellowships where even the regular members seem a little strange. Right? They, they seem a little fanatical, uh, prejudiced, and even uh, uh, manipulative. Now, when we hear such stories, you know, we feel quite confused and very bitter. Because for the rest of us Christians, we know that most churches aren't like that. And more importantly, we know that true Christianity isn't like that. And so we hear that and we know it's total hypocrisy. But while it is true that some Christians are hypocrites, 
Is, this, is it also true that all Christians are hypocrites? Now, I don't believe that to be true. Now, hypocrisy happens when your beliefs uh, should take you in a particular direction, right? Uh, but your life is flowing in another direction. And so true authentic uh, Christianity it happens when our lives are flowing in the same direction that our beliefs are taking us and we're getting closer and closer to that. Right? So I believe that most Christians are actually walking the path of true Christian, uh, true authentic Christian faith and not that of hypocrisy. And in today's passage, you know, John exposes the hypocrisy of the false teachers who had infiltrated and impacted various churches. You know, false teachers are by nature hypocrites, right? They are wolves in sheep's clothing. So they already, uh, by nature, they are not what they appear to be. And so uh, as John exposes the hypocrisy of these false teachers, uh, we want to be uh, shedding light on hypocrisy in Christian fellowship. And uh, we're going to be answering three straightforward questions. Number one, uh, where does hypocrisy come from? Number two, what does hypocrisy look like? And number three, uh, what is the hope for hypocrites? Now let's begin with the first question. Where does hypocrisy come from? Now, most Christians have some kind of an opinion about where hypocrisy comes from. Now, I say this because when there is gross media that we see or the, uh, that we hear over the, the, the news and all that, when it's exposed, uh, our opinions uh, are also exposed, right? So, for example, when a famous pastor falls into sin, you know, some of us might say, see lah, you know, this, this pastor probably never take God's commandments seriously, right? So, 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 perhaps we think that hypocrisy arises because there wasn't enough emphasis on the law and the commandments of God, now, others might say, ayo, right, must be, he never do his quiet time lah, right? So some others of us think that hypocrisy is an issue of intimacy with God. And then even others might say, you know, where, where's this elder, uh, the, this uh, pastor's leaders and elders, right? Uh, who's responsible for him? Where are the checks and the balances, right? So to them, hypocrisy is an issue of governance, right? It's a, it's a structural issue. Now to John, however, Hypocrisy is a gospel issue. Now listen to this. This is what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. You see, John is going back to the gospel uh, message that he had received firsthand from Jesus Christ. And this is not just any uh, version, any abridged version of the gospel, right? This is the gospel that John had literally received firsthand from the mouth of Jesus. And he hadn't received it privately or secretly uh, or individually with Jesus. No, he had received it publicly and uh, uh, together with other followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, uh, this is the message we have. We have heard from him, right? So uh, John is, uh, is not alone in receiving this gospel. And so what is happening is that John is going back to the historic gospel, all right, to the historic gospel. Now, why is this important? Well, if you remember last week, we learned that the beginning of Christian fellowship is fellowship with Christ. And fellowship with Christ is not just about gaining more knowledge. It's not about uh, fulfilling religious obligations. It's not about trying to improve our self-discipline. It's about experiencing Jesus each day in sweet fellowship. 
But even so, our experiences are not ultimate. All right, you see, we like to give authority to our experiences. You know, our tendency is that we, we like to redefine the gospel uh, to suit and to match our experiences. And, and this is what the false teachers had done in John's churches. You know, they had made their individual experiences ultimate. And they had re- replaced the historic gospel with a subjective gospel. All right, they had replaced the gospel of Jesus Christ with a man-made gospel. But I want to tell you that this process of redefining the historic gospel, it is so subtle. All right, it happens so quietly. In fact, it might really have happened for many of us. And I want to do a little test right now, all right? A little test. So here in verse 5, John summarizes the gospel by saying, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is blank and in him is no blank at all. Now, no condemnation, you know, no judgment here. Now, how would you fill the blanks, right? How would you summarize the gospel? What, uh, would you say that, you know, God is mercy and in him is no resentment at all, right? Is the gospel for you all about the mercy of God? Would you say uh, that God is good and uh, in him is no limit at all? Right, so is the gospel for you mainly about being blessed beyond measure? Or might you say the, that, that God is love and in Him is no rejection at all? And so is the gospel for you primarily about love and acceptance? Now all these views of the gospel, they carry important truths that we need. But here's the thing, what is central to the historic gospel is that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. At the core of the gospel is God's holiness. Now, does this come as a shock to you? Right? Uh, I mean, throughout the Bible, God is exalted as the Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light. In the Old Testament, God often revealed Himself through light. So with Abraham, God appeared as as a flaming torch. With Moses, God appeared in the burning bush. And perhaps most famously, God appeared in a pillar of fire to the Israelites during the Exodus. And I think maybe only a few of us perhaps can imagine how dark and how cold uh, the nights in the desert would have been. But even there, God was the source of light and warmth for His people. Now in the same way, the light of God's holiness is also the source of God's loving warmth. You see, what we don't realize is that even God's love is a holy love. All right, there is nothing like that love here on earth. The love of a father for his child, uh, the love of a mother for, his chi- for her child, the love of a, of a husband for his wife, all these are just examples, shadows, representations of the holy love of God, but these examples are still entirely inadequate for us to fathom the love of God. God's love is holy, and from His bright holiness flows His warm love. The light comes before the warmth. Now, at its core, the historic gospel is the gospel of God's 
holiness. And this is really important. You see, the, the moment we remove God's holiness and we place something else there, no matter how attractive, uh, no matter how right it may feel, no matter how sensible it may seem, when we do that, we are left with a man-made gospel. And with man-made gospels, and there are so many of them, hypocrisy will surely abound. The historic gospel flows in one direction, but these man-made gospels will call us towards another. And if we walk according to these man-made gospels, we will walk in hypocrisy. People, hypocrisy comes from misunderstanding the gospel. So what is at the core of your gospel? Is it God's holiness? Does your gospel rejoice in uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 16, which says, As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Or does your gospel reject that, resent it? Where there is a misunderstanding of the gospel, there will be hypocrisy. Let's move now to the second question. What does hypocrisy look like? So God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now the good thing about light is that it exposes the things which are hidden in the dark. And so in the, in the rest of chapter 1, John exposes two manifestations of hypocrisy. All right, the first is duplicity. Very big, uh, very chim huh? So duplicity means that you lead a double life. All right, an example is that you could be one thing, living a certain life in church, but outside of church, ah, you're living another life altogether. Right, so that's duplicity. The second manifestation is self-righteousness, and I think we're more familiar with that one. Now, du duplicity is fairly straightforward. Right, verse, verse 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. God is holy, pure, righteous. If you say you're walking with Him, that you are enjoying uh, intimacy with Him, but at the same time, you are living a life of blatant sin, uh, engaging in all kinds of wickedness, and you see nothing wrong about it, then you are a liar. Right? That's just, there's just no way that you could truly be in fellowship with a holy God in that kind of a state. Now, I remember my teenage days. You know, I was active in church. I enjoyed worship so much. And I think to many others, uh, you know, I, I seemed and appeared to be very spiritual. But outside of church, uh, I was freely cursing and swearing. Uh, I was so rude and dishonoring towards my parents. I was uh, indulging in pornography and, and all kinds of things. Now that is duplicity, all right? It's a double life. It's a lie. And I imagine some of us perhaps struggle with this. And the good news is that you are struggling with it, all right? You are struggling with it. Because you see, it's so possible to convince ourselves that it's okay to live that double life. And that's what the false teachers had done in John's time. At that time, the false teachers, they were teaching that only spiritual things matter before God. God is so high and glorious that He can't be bothered with physical, earthly things that are filthy and that decay and rot and they just, they just exist for a short time, right? So the false teachers thought that it doesn't matter what you do with your earthly bodies. God doesn't care. So you can go and engage in all kinds of immorality with your physical bodies just as long as you take care 
of your spiritual body. And so these false teachers were teaching the exact opposite of verse, uh, verse 6. They were saying that it is possible to have fellowship with the holy God while walking in the darkness of sin. Now I call this teaching compartmentalization. Like just like how a cabinet, you know, a cabinet has many compartments. You put a, you have a compartment for the socks, you have compartments for the shirts, you have compartments for the underwear. Now these false teachers were teaching that life has compartments. It has a compartment for the physical earthly stuff, and then it has another compartment uh, for the 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 spiritual heavenly stuff. And of course, this is all rubbish. It's total rubbish. But the thing is we see that same kind of thinking today. In our culture, people take such care to, uh, to watch over their spirituality through meditation, through yoga, through all kinds of things, but they have no issue giving their bodies to complete strangers in sex. Right? That is, that is, that is clearly a compartmentalization going on there. And similarly for Christians. Right, when I was much younger, a fellow Christian jokingly said, uh, Hey, you know what? Today is Sunday, okay? We can't lie on Sundays. No telling of lies on Sundays. Now, of course he was joking, right? We should not tell lies no matter what day it is. But there is this sense among us Christians that God only cares about whether you know, I go to church, uh, whether I read my Bible, whether I love people, especially non-Christians, whether I tithe and that I don't get drunk, things like that, Right? And, and all that we put under the spiritual compartment. But on the other hand, we think, you know, God doesn't really care about my lifestyle, my diet, the amount of sleep I get, the kind of entertainment I indulge in, the friends I surround myself with, uh, the clothes I wear, the way I treat my loved ones, the way, I'm, the way I'm spending my money, the way I pursue success at work or in school, the decisions I make for my family and my children and on and on and on. Right? So we, we put all of that under the real life compartment, right? The real life compartment. And so we live this double life, right? We, we perform religiously in, in the spiritual compartment, but we aren't too bothered by our sins in the real life compartment. Now people, this is a form of duplicity. This is hypocrisy and John condemns it in verse 6. Now instead of duplicity, we should walk authentically before God. And here's what verse 7 says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, as God is in the light, we too must walk in the light. Now that is true, authentic Christianity. And when we do that, there are two blessings. Blessing number one, we have fellowship with one another. No, you would expect that, you know, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with God. But that's not what it says here. It says that we have fellowship with one another. And that's the thing, you see. Christian fellowship is triangular. When we enjoy Christian fellowship with Christ, we will also enjoy authentic fellowship with one another. That's the first blessing. Blessing number two. The blood of Jesus Christ, of Jesus His Son, uh, cleanses us from all sin. Now, this is so important. This tells us that walking in the light with God doesn't mean being perfect. All right? doesn't mean 
being perfect. There is still sin. There is still a need for cleansing. And that's good news uh, uh, before us because as we seek to walk in the light, we can be confident of forgiveness for our sins, all of it, no matter how big or small. Now, here's what I want us to understand. Repentance is key to authentic Christian fellowship. Now, we often think that repentance is just a personal process between me and my God. But Christian fellowship, again, is triangular, right? So, uh, you know, if we don't know the forgiveness of God, how can we forgive others? Uh, If we don't know how to be vulnerable before God, how can we come humbly to others and ask them for their forgiveness? Now, through repentance, we experience authentic Christian fellowship with both God and with one another. And this is how John addresses duplicity, all right? And that is the first manifestation of hypocrisy. Now we come to the second manifestation of hypocrisy, and that is self-righteousness. When I was a youth leader, I sent a super, super critical email to all my fellow leaders. You know, something, something had happened, and, and I was, you know, making it known how I felt. And part of it, uh, I mean, the essence of it was, I was basically saying, you know who you are, all right? Uh, you, you, you guys have behaved so godlessly. Uh, you have, you know, you have stumbled the, the, the young youth in our midst and the non-Christians, they probably don't become Christians because of you. Uh, you guys, uh, you know, you guys behave so godlessly, you need to repent. Now, I still have that email, all right? It's horrible. It drips with such spiritual pride and with such self-righteousness. In verse 8, John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, this was something that the false teachers were claiming. Because to them, they were spiritually awakened beings. They had the true salvation. And so therefore, they were not sinners. They had nothing to be guilty about. Now, John says that this is self-deception. Because the truth is, we are all sinners. And to be a sinner, is, you know, it's not just saying, yeah, you know, uh, everybody's, uh, new, uh, everyone makes mistakes. No one's perfect. You know, it's still, yeah, you know, just maybe, maybe I make some small mistakes every now and then. And for that, I'm really sorry. All right, I'll try my best. No. All right, being a sinner means realizing that there's something fundamentally very wrong with you that there is something so sinister, so disgustingly selfish, so insidiously anti-God and anti-righteousness, that that thing is in us. And so we often have to double-check and triple-check and quadruple-check our hearts and our intentions and our motivations. And even then, we may not get to see our wickedness. That's how deep it goes. We need other people to point it out to us. right? We need the, the help of God's Holy Spirit to help expose it to us. And the reality is that, you know, so often we we may say that, uh, you know, I didn't mean to harm anyone, but actually in our heart of hearts, we were secretly hoping that a few people, a few particular people would have suffered some hurt. And so often we may say, oh, I'm doing this for the glory of God. But actually we are trying to prove someone else wrong so that we can be glorified. Now, this sinfulness is so often at work in what we say, what we do, what we we think, the, the way we make decisions. And when we ignore or reject the reality of our sinfulness, 
we fall into self-righteousness. It becomes everyone else's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the circumstances fault. It's the government's fault. It's the fault of this ethnic group, that ethnic group. It's the fault of those who are not vaccinated. It's the fault of those who are vaccinated. And we sit on a high throne above all of it, right? Spotless, sparkling, incapable of making mistakes or sins, holier than thou to the max. But it's all deception. And the worst thing is that you are the one deceiving yourself. In verse 10, John brings uh, this issue up again. And he says, uh, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, John is bringing us from the sinfulness of our hearts to the actual sins of our hands. So, so you know, you might say, yeah, you know, I, I admit it. I, I'm just like anyone else. I am a sinner, all right? I, I am a sinner. I have this sinfulness within me. But unlike everyone else, I don't give in to it. Right? I don't fall for the temptation. Uh, I overcome it. I may have sinful desires in me, but I never act out in actual sin. Now, John says, be really careful with what you're saying. Because now, you are making God a liar. And this is far worse than lying to others, like what he says in verse 6, or lying to yourself, like what he says in verse 8. Now you are so full of your own righteousness that you have elevated yourself above God. And God says He is the standard of holiness and righteousness. And you are saying, no, I am the standard of holiness and righteousness. And watch out. Take care uh, the amount of confidence you are placing in yourself. And that is the horror of self-righteousness. And so then, what is the alternative? What, uh, how do we remedy this self-righteousness? Wow, John gives us one of the most beautiful, most hopeful, most reassuring verses possibly in all of the Bible. He says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't deceive yourself or others any longer. Don't anger God any further by calling Him a liar. Humble yourself. Please acknowledge your sinfulness. Acknowledge your actual sins. Confess it to God. And how will God respond to you? God is faithful. And that means that He will keep His covenant promises. He is not a liar like how we are prone to be. And He is just, all right? He, because of the death of Jesus Christ, you know, the penalty for our sins is already paid. It is finished. And so our Father will not deny us. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us. He will wash away every trace of impurity because He is a holy God. And when that happens... Even the most arrogant, self-righteous person can walk in the light as God is in the light. Triangular relationship, triangular Christian fellowship will be restored. And once again, we see that repentance is key to authentic Christian fellowship. So these are the ways that hypocrisy manifests itself, right? Through duplicity, through compartmentalization, through self-righteousness, 
Now the question is, do you see any of these things in your life? Right? How, how is God calling you to repent this morning? Let's look now at our last question. What is the hope for hypocrites? Now we have looked at where hypocrisy comes from. It comes from a misunderstanding of the gospel. We have talked about what hypocrisy looks like. And hypocrisy takes the form of duplicity, compartmentalization, and self-righteousness. Now, by this point, you should have already realized that the seeds of hypocrisy are actually already there, rooted in your heart. And so the question is, what do we do? What is the hope for us? Are we all doomed to slowly but surely become hypocrites in some form or another? And what about our Christian fellowship? Is Agape Baptist Church destined to become the next church on the news for some horrible scandal? Now, I imagine the Christians that John was writing to might have had the same questions, right? As they read through chapter 1, they might have been thinking those things. And, and John is aware of that. He knows it. So here in chapter 2, John removes his apostle hat and he speaks lovingly to his people as their pastor. And this is what Pastor John says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. When he says, my little children, John is speaking to everyone in the church, right? Young, old, Jewish, Gentile, hypocrite, faithful. He's speaking to everyone. They are all his children. That's how much John loves them. And now Pastor John clarifies that he desires that they would not sin, whether through hypocrisy or whether through some other way, right? And yes, in chapter 1, he emphasized that we are sinners. And yes, we struggle with that, but we must still fight in our sinful, uh, fight our sinful desires, right? We're not meant to give in and just say, oh, you know what? We're all sinners. Then like that, no choice, right? But John says, no. But having said that, Pastor John acknowledges that sin will get the better of us, probably more often than we like. And so he says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now this is good news. When we do sin, we have Jesus. He is our advocate. right? He is like a criminal lawyer who represents us before the Supreme Court judge. He, he ensures that we get a fair, fair hearing. He guarantees that our full stories are heard. But you know, sometimes criminal lawyers may not have the best reputations, but with Jesus, it's different. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's His title. That's His credential. That's His reputation. And because Jesus Christ, the righteous, surely walks in the light as God is in the light, He walks closely with the Father. And so He has the Father's listening ear. What a great advocate, what a great criminal lawyer we have representing us in Christ. But not only is Jesus our advocate, our criminal lawyer, He says He is the propitiation for our sins. Now the word propitiation means uh, to make a sacrifice, to appease, to satisfy the wrath and anger of God. Now, do you know that your sin brings wrath? You know, many years ago, there was an incident below my flat. All right? At that time, I was living on the second floor, and I wasn't quite there, actually, in the home at, at that point. Uh, but apparently, uh, a foreign worker was uh, being verbally abused downstairs, right? very loudly, very publicly. 
and the abuser seemed kind of drunk and he was using all kinds of slurs against that foreign worker. Now my brother who was at home at that time, he went downstairs to confront that drunkard and eventually the drunkard got scared away and, and left the worker alone. Now what my brother told me later was that his blood was boiling. All right, he was so angry. He was full filled with wrath. The whole time he was confronting this abusive drunkard, his fists were clenched. All right, he, he said it took everything he had not to hit that guy. Now, this drunk guy didn't even sin directly against my brother. But even so, my brother already felt such wrath at that sin. Now, imagine how much worse it is for our Father in heaven. Each and every sin, big, small, conscious, unconscious, all manner of sin is always against Him directly. Now imagine how His blood must boil. Imagine how He must clench His fists. Imagine how, how much it must take for God not to destroy all of sinful humanity. But John tells us that the wrath of God has been satisfied. Because Jesus the Advocate became Jesus the Sacrifice for us. He is our peace with the Father. And now we can enjoy fellowship with the Judge of the universe. We can even call Him Father. Now people, do you sense the warmth in this passage? You know, earlier in chapter 1, God was presented as light. No darkness, no sin, pure glory, and our knees trembled before the holy God. But here in chapter 2, we are welcomed as little children. And we sense the love of the Father towards us. We see Christ, the advocate who takes care of us, even in our sin. Uh, we, we have Christ, the propitiation, who through His own initiative, His own choice, has reconciled us to God through His sacrifice. First was light. Now comes the warmth of His holy love. But that's not all there is to God's love. John says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. People, is there no end to the love of God? Our God has His sight set on the whole world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Christ was born in Israel as a light in the darkness. And from that time till today, Jesus Christ still remains the light of the world where He calls people out of darkness to walk with God in His marvelous light. A couple of weeks ago, I had a very difficult meeting with a Christian brother. And he had, you know, he had gone through some pretty pretty uh, tough times, but at the same time, there were also clear sins uh, that he had committed that needed to be confronted. And so I confronted those sins. And I led my brother, I led this brother through different passages in the Bible to help him see and realize his sin against God. Now, one of the most painful, one of the most stinging passages was this one from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 to 10, I got him to read it and this is what he read. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the thing is, the sins of this Christian brother was listed there in this passage. And I was telling him, brother, if you continue in this way, I don't think you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, brother. Now he responded by acknowledging that, yeah, you know, he, 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 he acknowledges, he accepts that he has sinned and he has fallen short and this and that. But he struggled to repent. Right? He felt like he didn't want to say he was sorry unless he knew that he would never again repeat those sins. And where he was, you know, he felt like he would. Very likely he was going to repeat them. So he struggled to repent before God and I pleaded with him. I told him this is not about your strength, your effort, your emotions. This is a matter of faith. Are you willing to humble yourself, to say sorry to God and to trust Him to change you instead of trusting yourself to change so that you can finally earn the right to say sorry to God? Now, by the grace of God, he responded, Pastor Nun, I don't quite feel it, but I have decided I want to repent. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I got him to pray and he poured out his heart before the Lord and then I prayed for him. And we were both weeping uh, as, as, as we prayed. Then I led him back to the Bible so that he could receive God's comfort and encouragement. And we went through various passages. Then I finally led him back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the, the passage we saw earlier. And I told him, read this one more time. But this time, don't stop at verse 10. Read on till verse 11. And this is what he read. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And, and I could see the heaviness on his face as he read this passage again. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he came to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, although we were having this meeting over Zoom, you know, I felt like I was embracing him and telling him, welcome home, brother. Welcome home. People, because Jesus is our advocate, because He is our propitiation, we can say that Christian fellowship is not hypocritical, it's not duplicitous, it's not compartmentalized, it's not self-righteous. But instead, Christian fellowship is restorative. It is healing. It is redemptive. It is a fellowship of love. Now, in the world we live in, you know, you're only given one chance. If you mess up, especially if you are found to be a hypocrite, that's it. You're out. All right? You're an outcast. You have nowhere. You don't belong anymore. But here in the church, it's different. When a brother or sister falls, we reach out our hands to say, uh, because Christ, our advocate, lives, you can face tomorrow. Because He lives to plead for you, all fear is gone.
Because I know and you know that He holds our future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Christian fellowship is not hypocritical. It's restorative. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg